Chapter Two of Stories of King Arthur and His Knights. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joy Chan. Stories of King Arthur and His Knights by Hugh Waldo Cutler. Chapter Two, Uther's Son, Rightwise King of All England. Then stood the kingdom in great jeopardy a long while. For every lord strengthened himself, and many a one thought to be king, rather than be ruled by a child that they had never known. All this confusion Merlin had foreseen, and he had taken the young prince away to keep him safe from the jealous barons, until he should be old enough to rule wisely for himself. Even Sir Ector did not know that the boy growing up with his own son Kay was the king's child and heir to the realm. When now young Arthur had grown into a tall youth, well trained in all the exercises of honourable knighthood, Merlin went to the Archbishop of Canterbury, and counselled him to send to all the lords of the realm, and all the gentlemen of arms, that they should come to London at Christmas time, since God of his great mercy would at that time show by miracle who should be rightwise king of the realm. The Archbishop did as Merlin advised, and all the great knights made them clean of their life, so that their prayer might be the more acceptable unto God. And when Christmas came they went unto London, each one thinking that perchance his wish to be made king should be granted. So in the greatest church of the city, whether it was St. Paul's or not, the old chronicle maketh no mention, all were at their prayers long ere day. When matins were done and they came out of the church, there was seen in the churchyard a great square stone, in the midst of which was an anvil of steel a foot high, with a fair sword naked at the point sticking through it. Written in gold about the sword were letters that read thus, Whoso pulleth out this sword from this stone and anvil is rightwise king born of all England. All the people marvelled at the stone and the inscription, and some essayed, such as would be king, to draw out the sword. But none might stir it, and the archbishop said, He is not here that shall achieve this sword, but doubt not God will make him known. This now is my counsel that we cause to be chosen ten knights, men of good fame, to guard this sword, until the rightful possessor shall appear. So it was ordained, and it was proclaimed that every man should essay that would, to win the sword. And upon New Year's Day the barons held jousts and a tournament for all knights that would engage. All this was ordained for to keep the lords and the commons together, for the archbishop trusted that God would soon make him known that should win the sword. So upon New Year's Day the barons rode to the field, some to joust and some to tourney, and it happened that Sir Ector rode also, and with him Sir Kay his son, that had just been made knight, and young Arthur that was his foster-brother. As they rode to the joustward, Sir Kay suddenly missed his sword which he had left at his father's lodging, and he begged young Arthur to ride and fetch it. "'I will gladly,' said Arthur, and he hastened off home." But the lady and all the household were out to see the jousting, and he found nobody at home to deliver him the sword. Then was Arthur troubled, and said to himself, I will ride to the churchyard and take the sword that sticketh in the stone, for my brother Sir Kay shall not be without a sword this day. So when he came to the great stone Arthur alighted, and tied his horse to the stile. He then went straight to the tent of the guards, but found no knights there, for they were at the jousting. So he took the sword by the handles, and lightly and fiercely pulled it out of the anvil. 
Then he mounted his horse and rode his way till he came to his brother Sir Kay, and delivered him the sword. As soon as Sir Kay saw the sword, he knew well it was that one of the stone, and so he rode away to his father, Sir Ector, and said, Sir, lo, here is the sword of the stone, wherefore I must be king of this land. When Sir Ector beheld the sword, all three returned to the church and entered it. Anon Sir Ector made Sir Kay to swear upon a book how he came by that sword, and Sir Kay answered that Arthur had brought it to him. And how get ye the sword? said he to Arthur. And when Sir Ector heard how it had been pulled from the anvil, he said to Arthur, Now I understand ye must be king of this land. Wherefore I? said Arthur. And for what cause? Sir, said Ector, for God will have it so, for there should never man have drawn out the sword, but he that shall be rightwise king. Now let me see whether ye can put the sword there as it was, and pull it out again. That is no mastery, said Arthur, and so he put it into the stone. Therewith Sir Ector essayed to pull out the sword, and failed. Then Sir Kay pulled at it with all his might, but it would not yield. Now shall ye essay again, said Sir Ector to Arthur. I will well, said Arthur, and pulled it out easily a second time. Now was Sir Ector sure that Arthur was of higher blood than had been thought, and that the rightful king had been made known, and he told his foster-son all, how he was not his father, but had taken him to nourish at Merlin's request. Arthur was grieved indeed when he understood that Sir Ector was not his father, and that the good lady that had fostered and kept him as her own son was not his true mother. And he said to Sir Ector, If ever it be God's will that I be king, as ye say, you shall desire of me what I may do, and I shall not fail you. Therewithal they went unto the archbishop, and told him how the sword was achieved, and by whom. And all the barons came thither, that whoever would might essay to take the sword. But there before them all none might take it out but Arthur. Now many lords became wroth, and said it was great shame unto them all, and to the realm to be governed by a boy. They contended so at that time, that the matter was put off till Candlemas, when all the barons should meet there again. A pavilion was set over the stone and the sword, and the ten knights were ordained to watch there day and night, five being always on guard. So at Candlemas many more great lords came thither to win the sword, but none might prevail except Arthur. The barons were sore grieved at this, and again put it off in delay till the high feast of Easter. And as Arthur sped afore, so did he at Easter. Yet there were some of the great lords that had indignation that Arthur should be their king, and put it off in a delay till the feast of Pentecost. At the feast of Pentecost, all manner of men essayed to pull at the sword, yet none might prevail but Arthur, and he pulled it out afore all the lords and commons that were there. Wherefore all the commons cried at once, We will have Arthur unto our king, we will put him no more in delay, for we all see that it is God's will that he shall be our king, and who that holdeth against it we will slay as traitor. And they kneeled down all at once, both rich and poor, and begged mercy of Arthur, because they had delayed so long. And Arthur forgave them, and took the sword between both his hands, and offered it upon the altar where the archbishop was. And so was he made knight of the best man that was there. And anon was the coronation made, and there Arthur swore unto his lords and the commons to be a true king, to stand for justice all the days of his life. 
Then he made all the lords that were subject to the crown to come in and to do service as they ought to do. And many great wrongs that had been done since the death of King Uther were righted, and to lords, knights, ladies, and gentlemen were given back the lands of which they had been unjustly deprived. When the king had thus established justice in all the countries about London, he made Sir Kay Seneschal of England, and other officers he appointed also that should aid in keeping back his enemies and holding his realm in peace and orderliness. End of chapter 2